0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of The Yes Men. I am Lou DiPietro. As always, to my left is Doug Williams, my co-host extraordinaire, producer, minor league monthly producer, Christian show producer, breaking news producer. You don't
1: have to do that. <clears throat> List off everything that I do.
0: Your resume is quite extensive. When I'm
1: here, I, I am purely the, Yes Men. The, Just call me the utility man. That's the utility
0: man. I mean. The utility Yes Man. That works for me. We are here. Uh, it's a sad day for us. Hockey season is over. Basketball season is officially over as of uh, Sunday night. And that leaves baseball as the sole sport on the block. But before we get into our usual uh, our usual Yankees chatter that we do every week, uh, we first want to take a look back and and I will say thank you to the New York Rangers for a great season. And for me personally, them going to the Stanley Cup Finals, you get a little spoiled as a Yankees fan. You know, you expect greatness every year. They make the playoffs every year except for last year in two thousand eight. They you know, World Series, all these accolades. The Rangers haven't done that in quite a while, so it felt good for me as a fan to sit there and watch the Stanley Cup finals on the edge of my seat for five games.
1: No, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And I mm-hmm. went to one game uh every series of the playoffs. So that was a lot of fun. I, I would say I probably went to fifteen, ten to fifteen games all year. So I really do feel like I, I was with this team the whole way and it was really fun, and you wish it had been closer at the end. You kind of wish that it was a series that deserved to go seven, if you know what I mean. It was yeah. the kind of thing where you could tell that the teams were closer than five games uh, would have you know, made it look. But generally speaking, it was a very good Ranger season. I'm incredibly proud of this team. They do have a lot of work to do now uh, in the offseason, and I'm not sure that Glenn Sather really has a lot of wiggle room to try and improve this roster, and I love how, by the way, we all are looking at this as a roster that needs so many improvements. In you know, still, it's they a team just that went to the Eastern Stanley Cup Conference Finals. Yeah, and, yeah, went to the Eastern uh, the Stanley Cup Finals. So obviously, they have some strong points on this team as well.
0: And you know, the thing about that is too is is one of those things that's not necessarily hard to swallow. Isn't the right phrase, but you look at that series and. Game three is the only one where the Rangers didn't really have a chance to win that game at any point in the later stages. Yeah, they had the what, only three blowout. overtime games, two in double overtime, one goal games, in four of the five games outside of Game three. I, they could have won that series four games to nothing.
1: And the point that, uh, if you're listening to Michael Kay and Don Lagreca yesterday, <laughs> the point that uh, Michael kept making is yes, you can, you know, you can argue that these two teams were close and and very well matched. Till you're blue in the face, but the, the difference is that the Rangers didn't score in the third period right. or passed it uh, for the entire uh, five games. So if you can't score after the second period, you're not going to win right. close hockey games in the postseason. It and just they doesn't were,
0: work. they were shut out for, what, a good 140 minutes? Was, yeah. I don't remember the exact streak, but there was a yep. good streak there where they did not score between the the middle of game two and the beginning of game four. And that's, you can't do that. At all, let alone in the Stanley Cup finals when you're down 2 0.
1: And the thing about hockey is also that it's a very blue collar sport, and you fall in love with a lot of the guys on the team, and and they have a lot of guys that may not be here next year. A lot of guys that. I've grown to love, and, and Ranger Rangers fans have grown to love this year. Guys like Brian Boyle, and you know he's been around for a while. He to me feels like a Ranger, you yes, know, to his core. And Dominic Moore, who you know the the Rangers took a risk on signing him for one year. He hadn't played hockey uh, in over a year, and it was uh, a nice
0: homecoming, for right? Him this it year, was, yeah. and
1: so they have a few guys like that. Anton Stram and the Yan- uh, the uh, Rangers are going to have to make a big time decision on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not going to be easy, but let's keep in mind that there is a solid foundation here uh, right. going into this offseason, which is going to be interesting.
0: And I think anyone will agree. They, they won't say it publicly, but I, I think it looks like the, the Rangers and Brad Richards are now in the midst of the beginning of their divorce proceedings. It's Yeah,
1: I would agree. It's They didn't meet with the media. It's not
0: you. It's me. It's not working out. Go somewhere else. The same thing that happened to Chris Drury and Scott Gomez, although he was traded at least.
1: He brought in Ryan McDonough. He so did bring in Ryan McDonough, so that was worthwhile. Brad Richards for mm-hmm. a future, one of the best defensemen in the NHL. I'm sure they'll do that, but I think yeah, an amnesty. An amnesty is what's coming his way. Yeah. He knows it. The Rangers know it. Um, and they, I would say, the two biggest decisions they have to make are are Brian Boyle and Anton Strawman. Strauman's right. going to get a big deal from an NHL team, whether it's the Rangers or whether it's somebody else. Yeah. I mean, That's he's been a decision he's been a second
0: line defenseman for two years now strong he's been so.
1: incredibly solid he played with uh, a lot of physicality in the playoffs he kind of mm-hmm. I think he surprised a lot of Rangers fans he doesn't have great size he's a very good skater but he played really well in the playoffs he yes. was maybe their most solid defenseman behind Ryan McDonough you know Mark Stahl and Dan Girardi were very inconsistent. So again, you can
0: say Dan Girardi might have cost them two of those four games. True. I mean, if you really want to look at it in terms of X's and O's, it's
1: true. And another guy, Brian Boyle, who was who terrific in the playoffs. The the problem with going to the Stanley mm-hmm. Cup, Lou, is that the rest of the NHL is watching and is able uh-huh. to realize who your best players are and and what they bring to the ice. And I think that they they have seen what Brian Boyle and Anton Stroman do. And some teams going to say, Hey, guys. We can offer you a bigger role on our team that has a less deep Mm -hmm. roster. We'll sign you for this amount. Rangers may not give you that amount or that playing time. Come with us, and they might take the bait.
0: You know, I think the thing about it is I think the best season overall that Brian Boyle maybe had was the year he was playing with Fedotenko and Prost a few years ago on the third line, and they were just – Boyle was a grinder, but he knew how to score. Prust was a grinder, but he could score when needed to. And Fedotenko was just a veteran who would do whatever he had to do, didn't care about his stats, it seemed, did whatever he had to do. And that third line was very good. He was on the fourth line a lot this year and in the playoffs especially, and he he wants a bigger role. He's a better player than that. I mean, Brad Richards was demoted to the fourth line in in the finals because he stunk, but... Brian Boyle is a better player than that, to be on the fourth line as a fourth line guy, unless you're talking about like Team USA.
1: It has a stigma about it. The one thing is that the fourth line Mm -hmm. was used by the Rangers in a lot of big roles, especially Sidney Crosby against the Penguins. That line was used to stop the first line of the majority of the teams they played in the playoffs, but it has that... I'm on your last line, you know. I have the checking line in the video game, yeah. Right. So you want, you know, you want a bigger role than that? Then he can get it. That's the thing. I mean, that's what the Rangers fear. And if
0: you're built, if you're built the right way, like the Kings are, I mean, their fourth line scored the game-winning goal (laughs) in Game Five. So, I mean, Alec Martinez, you know, kind of got the the benefit of it. But that was their fourth line that was on the ice. And
1: what team, Lou? If you think about it, what team is going to be able to offer him a bigger role? And also offer him a chance at the Cup because the Blackhawks right. would not have room for Brian Boyle. The Blues would not have room for Brian Boyle. The Kings uh, don't the need Kings him. The wouldn't need Brian no. Boyle. So if his best chance to win a Cup, heck, it might be in New York.
0: Well, it, it also depends on – I mean, you mentioned earlier at the outset that there's a lot of decisions that have to be – the Rangers have seven forwards under ironclad contract for next year, one of which being Richards. So if you figure he's gone, one of those six is Jesper Fast, who played next to nothing and was in the minors all year. He's not going to be a top six forward as a rookie or a true rookie next year. Maybe there is that bigger role there. I mean, you got Nash, Haglin, San Luis, Dorset, Stepan. That's who's under contract. Okay. Those are four top six forwards and a fringe guy in Dorsett who can move up and down the lines as needed. So if maybe Pugliot or somebody doesn't come back, if Zuccarello goes somewhere, maybe Boyle steps in and takes that third-line center role. Maybe that's where it comes in. And I think JT
1: Miller will have an increased role. He's yep. the kind of guy that they just need to decide to play, kind of like they yep. did with Kreider this year. Yeah. They, they let him fly. It turned out that he has the skills, and he was huge for them in the playoffs. I don't think they would have gotten to the Stanley Cup Finals without mm-hmm. him. Right. If they go with J.T. Miller, you know the talent that he has. He's a little bit like Chris Kreider in that, except he's a center, but he does have size and speed. Mm-hmm. Put him in there at the beginning of next year. He saves you money because he's already yep. under contract. Just go with it. See how it works out, and, he, and, and maybe he takes the role of Brad Richards or maybe he plays wing when you acquire another center.
0: He would also maybe benefit a little bit from being the center of the fourth line every now and again with – You know, you throw a guy like Carcillo on that line who, I mean, Carcillo had some huge goals in the Stanley Cup playoffs. The guy's a goon. He's probably not coming back, though. No, but I'm just saying a player like that. I mean, he was a goon, and he had a couple of big goals. A Mike Rupp-type player who had two big goals in the Winter Classic that one, you know. A player like that, JT Miller's got the size and the speed, and then maybe an athletic winger. You've got a fourth line that's versatile, for lack of a better word. I mean, it's, it's three guys that bring three different things to the table, but all of them can do enough so that if they gel cohesively, it's a dangerous line.
1: Right. And it, it sports, is it's so hard to be a fan. Hockey in general, it's so difficult to win the cup, and it takes so long to get there. Yeah. Every, you know, with the exception of one, every single fan base goes home totally empty-handed and mm-hmm. depressed. This loss was, to me, since Mariano blew the save in Arizona, was the worst loss for me as a sports fan. Um, I... I turned the TV off as soon as they scored, and I could not handle it. It was so frustrating.
0: Yeah, it was tough. I
1: The Rangers haven't been in a cup in 20 years.
0: Yeah, and you felt like this was a team of destiny, just right. like that one kind of I mean, that one had a lot of guys from Edmonton who had won umpteen cups among them. And, you know, an uh, all-world goalie in Richter, just like Lundquist. But, you know, like I said, they, they had four one-goal games, <laughs> three overtime, two double overtime. I mean... Couple of bounces either way, a couple of mistakes taken back. You know, you catch the Kings sleeping somewhere. The Kings were the better team, and the Rangers could have won that series 4 right. 1. So right. that tells That's you what, what kind of means. team they were.
1: Right. That's the thing. You know? And people who say the Kings were the better team, they deserve to win. That's true. Yeah. But like you said, the Kings were the better team. The Rangers also had a chance to win.
0: Pittsburgh was a better team. The Both, Rangers beat it. Right.
1: Both things can be true. Yeah. People need to realize that. Yep. Um, I think the theme of this podcast episode, Lou, I came to your cubicle earlier and and suggested this, would be kind of moving forward because the NHL and the NBA playoffs are now over. Mm -hmm. Uh, People have forgotten that baseball has been underway for a while. The NBA playoffs were, I don't care what you say— Absolutely nothing compared to the NHL playoffs. Now I understand the NBA is a more popular sport.
0: Can I make a very controversial statement? Oh boy. The NBA season in general meant nothing to me all it, year. No, it didn't. I said to you in October, wake me up when it's heat spurs in June. What,
1: what did the NBA season accomplish? Let's think about this for a second. Uh which teams, were there any surprise teams? Well, I mean, maybe the Toronto Raptors were a surprise. Maybe Chicago was a surprise in the Eastern Conference, being as good as they were without Derrick Rose. Phoenix, the West, and they
0: didn't make the playoffs. Phoenix
1: didn't make the playoffs. Portland was surprisingly good. They're yep. kind of an elite team now. Wake me up. I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm slumbering through this. The NBA has, has no surprise factor. Nope. I mean, at the beginning of the NHL playoffs, you would have been surprised, as would I, if I told you, Kings-Rangers. Um at the beginning of the NBA playoffs, you predicted it. The Heat and the Spurs look like the shoe wins. They're the two best that, teams in the league. Yeah, and the Spurs were the best team in the league from the from the get-go. And obviously we're clearly far and away better than everybody else. It's just how what do we have to do to get a seven game series full of close games? I mean, even the the good series in the NBA playoffs were twenty wins. 20 uh, point win, twenty-point win on the other side, twenty-point win on the other side. It was like even when you get to a really close game in the NBA, it's outshined by the end of a close game in the NHL because the NBA has each team has like 19 timeouts.
0: I will tell you, there was maybe two good series out of what 15 in the NBA playoffs, and both of them involved the same team. So that what is that? Right. What is that? It's Clippers. This right, where I'm going with this? Right. Clippers, Warriors, and Clippers, Thunder were both great series. Right. What does that tell you? It tells you that. Okay, maybe the Clippers are like the hot passe kind of up and coming team, but everything else was ho hum, paint by numbers, it as you expect. Me nuts
1: because you and I can both agree that the the athleticism of NBA players is incredible, and the things they do on the court are incredible. But the most interesting thing about the NBA, and I would love to have someone argue this point, is the off season and the talk about. Where guys are going? Is Carmelo going to leave New York? Is LeBron going to go back to Cleveland? How interesting would that be? May the big three be over? Is the big three in San Antonio better than – all of the talk off the court outshines the play
0: on the court. It's more interesting. I'm sorry. See, here's the the thing, and the the, the NHL proved this with the Stanley Cup final, and not just because the Rangers were in it. The same few teams have been dominating the Stanley Cup finals or – era for the last few years boston chicago los angeles have won what five four five cups five cups in a row now mm-hmm. those, those, those three yep. teams
1: boston uh, yeah boston has one la has two chicago is LA. two
0: here's the thing though the rangers made the finals the one year vancouver made the finals against boston the one year boston was you know in the finals they lost the one year too chicago's beaten you know other teams there have been teams that have gone through. There's upsets. There's. It's not just ho hum. Let's chalk, pencil in the chalk bracket and you probably win the playoff pool. But with the chalk bracket kind of thing, the NBA, the same four teams have been the four best teams in the NBA for five years. With one or two other teams coming in as like a hey, we're kind of here this this year and last year it was Indiana. A couple years ago it was Memphis. The year they upset um, when they upset the uh, Thunder in the in the yep. first round when Russell Westbrook Spurs, got hurt yep, last year. The Spurs. Spurs. No, didn't they they beat the Thunder, did they not? Memphis or was that the Rockets? When Russell Westbrook got hurt, that was Memphis that beat the Thunder, correct?
1: Uh, Memphis beat the Spurs, I think, in the first round as a 1 and an 8 matchup.
0: Okay. Either way, regardless and I'm sorry I didn't bother to check the research on my history. The point is is that the Spurs, the Thunder, the Clippers since Chris Paul got there, the Pacers the last couple of years and the Heat have been above and beyond the best teams in the NBA. And who has been in the NBA Finals the last five years? The Heat four times, the Spurs a couple times, the Thunder, the Mavericks one year, and that's it. Right. The best teams, three of them happen to be in the West, so you know only one of them is going to represent. But Miami's been in four straight finals. They're clearly the best team in the Eastern Conference, and the Eastern Conference is nothing to sneeze at.
1: And you wonder sometimes three. why we even bother. Like, why are Knicks fans even bothering Thinking about their mm-hmm. team, you yep. know they're not going to be in the
0: finals. No, they can't even get there. And you know, no matter what are, you do, you know, chances are there's not going to be a team other than you know, you you know Miami's going to be in the conference finals, and you know whoever the like I said, the last few years has been Indiana, Boston made the surprise run a couple of years ago. Whoever looks like the second best team is probably going to be Miami's opponent in the conference finals because that's how bad and predictable the East is. And in the West, there's a lot of great teams, but like I said. San Antonio, Oklahoma City and the Clippers are on another level than everybody else even entirely outside of one upset, you know, every couple years and the Mavs run the uh, the title there a few years ago. That's it. You know what you're getting. It's it's not even worth to me fretting over the regular season unless you're a fan of a mid-level team like the Nets or the Knicks where you're like, "Oh, what, you know, we talked all year. They need to do this, they need to do that. What position are they going to get? They want to get the best matchup." This that Unless you're a fan of one of those middle-tier Eastern Conference teams, there's no point in even bothering until April.
1: And I think you listened to one of the podcasts I did on my own when you were, you were gone. I yes, talked I did about this to and them. I, I I said that what I thought was this year's regular season was going to be so important because I thought that if Indiana won the one seed, yep. that they would beat Miami, and it would just work like that. But it turned out that the NBA regular season is more pointless than it's ever been yeah. because it didn't matter. The Heat just knew it didn't matter, would yep. beat them anyway. So – it's it's discouraging for for somebody that is now. I mean, me personally, I weigh sports against <laughs> each other. I mm-hmm. look at the at the uh, pluses and minuses. I look at kind of the pros and cons of each sport. And when you look at the NBA, it's the talent, it's the athleticism. But the most exciting thing about it is the talk. That's it. Yep. The off the court talk.
0: The next three weeks are the best time of the NBA year because if the finals yeah. are over now. You got the draft. Then you know three day what three days four days after the draft this year I think it's four or five. July 1st, the league year begins, free agency is open, you know, that 10-day period where you can't really sign guys, but you can agree with guys, and then the first signing period. So, yeah, the next three to four weeks is the most exciting part of the NBA season to me because it's the only one where there's nothing predictable that you can see through your prediction with, like I said, with Heat, Spurs, and the Finals. Right. Wake. I said in October, wake me up in June. There it was. Yep. Not uh, a, Not a long shot prediction either. It's not like I went out on a limb.
1: Yeah, I, I, I need to start making predictions with my head and not my heart. Because, like, I looked at the Pacers and the Thunder. I was like, I would kind of find that more interesting than the Spurs heat. Now, I don't know why I would root against the Spurs. I I, I, I really love that team, and I respect them, and I'm really glad they won. I just kind of wanted something different. Like your, like your average sports fan, I wanted to see a matchup I hadn't seen and, before. And
0: you know what? I think I said this to you when we made those predictions in April – I said to you, I don't see it that way, but I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest if one or both of those teams advanced to the finals because the Thunder have done it, you know, that one year. And you know that, you know, okay, Durant won the MVP this year, maybe it's his time, it's the next level, the ascension of the throne. And Indiana gave Miami everything they could handle last year and were quote unquote better this year. Mm -hmm. So again, like, you know, that one upset is all it takes. Wouldn't have been surprised. Didn't think it was going to happen, personally, which is why I made the Heat Spurs prediction. Wouldn't have been surprised. And, and I think next week maybe we can delve into more, but now you said you know the offseason talk is, is a thing. This is going to be an interesting offseason for Miami. Does this dynasty continue, get added onto, or disassemble?
1: We're adding right to the, the, the three weeks of excitement. Mm-hmm. Got to talk about it. Miami is interesting.
0: <laughs> Miami has legitimately two players under ironclad contract for next year. And That's they need
1: it. and and the bottom line is even if they were to bring back the big three, they need a bench yep. full of full of youth and athleticism, not Mm-mm. the decrepit old retired guys that they had <laughs> the last Richard year. The
0: Rashard Lewises and Ray Allen's and right. Greg Oden's of the world. Somebody called the Michael K show yesterday and was like,
1: "I can't believe you'd say that the Heat aren't as good as the Bulls were. Uh, the Heat have so many lottery picks on their team, and they mentioned Rashard Lewis as Ma- a lottery. pick. Did they mention Michael as, Beasley as, too? Yeah, I mean, exactly. yeah." So uh, the Cleveland
0: Cavaliers have about 175 top 10 picks on their team. Isn't that
1: unbelievable? They're all failed.
0: The Cavs are littered with top 10 picks. They suck. So what does that tell you?
1: Yeah. So. um,
0: Well, they got the number one pick again this year, too.
1: Going back to a uh, sport that is wide open right now. Baseball. Baseball. It is is, uh, pretty. it's It's been a pretty interesting season. And we kind of thought we'd theme the episode with those of you that have been watching the NHL and NBA for a while and haven't really caught up with your baseball. Well, the surprises kind of in both leagues are the Giants in the NL mm-hmm. and the Blue Jays in the AL.
0: Something about even-numbered years with that Giants team.
1: Yeah. They look <laughs> good. And and the big pickup for them is Michael Morse. They yep. Their offense is totally different. Mm-hmm. And their pitching is as good as ever. Tim Hudson has been a big pickup for them, too. Yep. The Blue Jays...
0: Their bullpen has been great, too,
1: beyond right. Sergio Romo. Very true. The Blue mm-hmm. Jays are what we maybe thought they would be last year. Yep. And also, their offense is exactly what we thought it would be last year— incredibly dynamic. But Mark Burley is their ace. It's a—it's di- that difference. They—they they didn't have that ace guy last year. Mark Burley's been terrific. He's—he has ten wins. Um, Mark Yankees Burley is this to, year
0: what they hoped R. A. Dickey would be last year right. when he was coming off his Cy Young year turns with the Mets.
1: Out that he just hasn't yeah. been. R. A. Dickey, I'm talking about, just hasn't really yep. panned out for them.
0: And Burley's never really—I mean, he's had good seasons, but he's never really been this kind of pitcher. He's always been that. Number three ish. Well, he was number one in Chicago for, for a little while, while right? Yeah. But he, even he didn't have this great of a season too often, if at all, in Chicago. Yeah. But he, in the last six eight years, he's been that number three ish, two hundred innings lefty kind of you know Andy Pettit with a with a slightly a poor man's Andy Pettit, I'll call him. And now this year, he's he's one of the leaders for the Cy Young Award along with Masahiro Tanaka.
1: Yep. Um, so the interesting thing for the Yankees. Um, is that they're two games over 500. They've had times where everything was going well, and they've mm-hmm. had times where they have nothing at all going for them. And they've played the same pretty much no matter what. Even when right now three qu- three-fifths three of their rotation are on the, D- the DL, and uh, they do have some hitters back. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of guys in slumps. So many guys have not lived up to their potential or are not living up to their contracts. Yep. Um, and yet they continue to tread water. Now the question really is going to be whether they go out, well they'll they'll go out and get a starting pitcher at the trade deadline. Who are we kidding? But the, at least the at question least is who it will be. So I tweeted something out today. Yes,
0: you did. I saw a lot of responses, but you can go ahead and, and I let me know what you call I said, in which here?
1: pitcher if any do you guys want the Yankees to trade for at the deadline and why? And let's let, let me just read the responses I got from the from the Twitter trolls. Javier Vasquez Kevin He's... Kevin Brown, Carl Pavano, Jarrett Wright, Brian Taylor, J.B. Cox. J.B. Cox? I mean, it's unbelievable.
0: Nobody mentioned Aaron Smaller showing Sean tone, huh?
1: I got two I got two serious answers.
0: Is there a Tim Redding in there, maybe? I
1: got Samarja from a Kevin Sullivan. Not sure if you've ever heard of him.
0: It's not the Kevin Sullivan I know. <laughs> uh,
1: and I, I got one person who said... You know, they got to keep, stop making this mistake. This is a classic Yankee answer. Stop making the mistake. We make so many bad trades. Trade all our prospects. Well, when the Yankees lose, they'll be complaining, by the way. So I said, Do you really want to keep this rotation the way it is? And they said uh, they need to uh, answer a simple question Is this team capable of making a deep run in the postseason? If not, keep the
0: prospects. Have you seen the standing? Whoever wrote that, have you seen the standing? four and a half games back. Every team is capable of making a deep run in the playoffs because every team except for three is on the same plane.
1: Right. So that's what I would say the answer is. First of all, you're talking about the Yankees. So don't be ignorant. Don't, don't, Don't talk about the team like they're just anybody else. They're the Yankees. They want to win. They're expected to win. So the fact that their offense has the limitless potential that it has. It has not lived up to it. Yeah. But it has limitless potential. They need... One or two more starters to compliment CC Sabathia when he gets back. And I really think this is a good team and a possible mm-hmm. playoff team. So if I'm the Yankees, I go out and get Samarja if we can. I don't know if you can, though, because they he's are going to cost a lot. And they're negotiating a, a contract yeah. right now with the Cubs. Get Jason Hamill. That's what I would do if I were Brian Cashman. He's solid. Mm-hmm. He'll fill the gap. Um, he's not sexy necessarily, but he'll help you out. He'll, he'll get you to October maybe. Um, And Lou, I want to ask you something actually.
0: Okay. This is
1: about the Yankee lineup. So my favorite, who would you say in their lineup has not been a disappointment?
0: Has not been a disappointment. Yes.
1: It's a bit, it's a slightly bigger list than you
0: would think. We must be pressed for time. Huh? You asking me (laughs) that side of the question, Uh, who has not been a disappointment? Uh, Number one, Ichiro. Yep.
1: That's one uh, of my five. I you know, five.
0: Ichiro is playing like he was in the second half a couple years ago, Right. only he's playing part-time. Um, so he hasn't been a disappointment. Uh, the backup catcher.
1: Didn't include him. I, this is mostly starters.
0: One, I'm saying Cervelli, John Ryan Murphy, I guess. He's been great. Would be because, yeah, Cervelli played, what, 10 games before he got hurt. Um, who hasn't been a disappointment? I'm going to say Jan Hervis Solarte yep. is on that list even though he's struggling and he's maybe regressing back better to better than we thought he would be. Being a 27-year-old minor league free agent, he I mean he kept the team afloat for a while and still has right. more home runs than Robinson Cano. <laughs> uh, um, who has not been a disappointment. Uh this might shock you and and it might not. Mark Teixeira. That's
1: on my list, non-disappointments. I
0: mean he's I, I have the all-star stats so I was writing down some stats. He's hitting where is he? Where are you Mark Teixeira? 242 with 11 homers and 32 RBIs, having missed a few weeks with a wrist.
1: And we knew the wrist would be turbulent. So
0: that's pretty much what you kind of expected, Adam, yep. Mark
1: to share. He's, I'm not disappointed by he, his He's been a disappointment in that he's not a
0: 40-home run guy anymore, but he hasn't been a disappointment if your expectations were he's going to hit 250 with 25 home runs.
1: And to be honest with you, he never got off to that terribly slow start. Right. He's been pretty much consistent the whole right. year, so that's good.
0: I'm guessing one or both of Gardner and Ellsbury is also yeah. on that list. Are I don't they,
1: think either of them has been terrible. Are they the other Ellsbury two? Ellsbury yeah. leads the team in batting average. <laughs> He's been really hot. Then he went through the terrible slump. Here's,
0: here's where I'm going to say Ellsbury, at least, is sort of a disappointment in some folks' eyes. He landed a contract that was 100 and something 155 100 and whatever it was, $1 million dollars with the options. Gardner landed a contract that was $52 million over four years. Their numbers, if you look at them, are almost exactly the same. So you could, I could see somebody saying Ellsbury's been a disappointment in that Brett Gardner's been the same player for a third of the price okay, tag. Okay, right. No, that's a good point. Um, but – yeah, I agree. They've both been solid. In, I mean – Well, this was the – They had back-to-back were, highlight catches. Itself. Right, and people were killing
1: the Ellsbury deal because yep. of that very reason. People mm-hmm. said Brett Gardner's the same player. So here's who, kind of what I bro- – I broke it down like this. Uh, first of all, you mentioned Solarte. His, Whoa. He's right now on pace to hit 274. About 15 home runs and 70 RBIs. Pretty good.
0: That would be, what, double the production the Yankees got out of third base right, last year? Right. Yeah, so, so pretty
1: good. I don't think they need to go out and get an infielder this year, um, but we'll talk about that with Kelly Johnson in a second. I, I
0: don't either, and I have a reason for that that's other than what yours is, but I'll get okay, to that Okay, we'll letter. get back
1: to it. Yeah. Um, Brian McCann, 224, 7 home runs, 28 RBIs. Carlos second in all-star voting. 221, 6 home runs, 18 RBIs. Alfonso Soriano, 228, 6 home runs, 22 RBIs. Average... Of those three, middle of the order guys, 224, six home runs, 23 RBIs. That's the problem right there. To me, Soriano can't hit righties. Beltran can't stay healthy. And when he is,
0: he he's hasn't not been the well. player he's been expected to Brian be. Brian McCann's
1: right. been playing all year, and he's got seven home runs and 28 RBIs. Not the kind of productivity you want <laughs> to And as I
0: hand. said, second in all star voting.
1: Yeah. And then uh, okay. you break it down to a different group. Contact guys. Brian Roberts, two thirty eight, two home runs, fourteen RBIs. Kelly Johnson, two twenty six, four home runs, fifteen RBIs. Derek Jeter, two seventy one, one home run, fifteen RBIs. Now, Derek Jeter's not having a terrible season, uh, but he, he's not been productive.
0: I mean he's hitting what, two seventy two, two two seventy-one, yeah. yeah. Something like that. So, two forty five, I mean.
1: two home runs, fifteen RBIs, average between kind of the third base, second base, shortstop guys the, the left side the
0: of the infield not right. counting Brendan Ryan or whoever or, else was yeah. up there
1: so those yeah that's a core of six guys mm-hmm. in that lineup averaging less than 250 averaging less than 6 home runs and averaging less than 23 RBIs
0: do you remember a few years ago when the Yankees brought up Shelly Duncan right around the all-star break to provide some youth and and kind of kick the team in the butt do you remember two, three years ago now when they brought up Jesus Montero in September because they – By the way, I nodded way in my head. Yeah. People didn't see that. Brian Roberts and Alfonso Soriano are about two months away from getting Passotted. And I, I'm using that unwantingly as an adjective verb, whatever, passaded. Uh, and the reason, as I alluded to, that I don't think they're going to have to go out and get an outfielder is I, I – well, I, I said I said third base. Or an infielder. An infielder in general. Uh, I think Rob Refsnyder is going to be a Yankee on September 1st. He's – Rocketed through the system, he just got promoted to AAA. You know, earlier this month, he was hitting, I think, three thirty at AA. After a really slow he's start, raking. he's now raking at AAA. You know, he's got a, he started a little slow again, but now he's starting to rake. He's he's number one with a bullet in terms of infield prospects at this point in the organization. And if Brian Roberts keeps hitting two thirty, and Kelly Johnson hits 215, 220 and still has three of those four home runs in the span of a week. And Solarte regresses back to, you know, being a utility guy as opposed to an everyday third baseman. What do you have to lose by bringing him up? I know he doesn't need to be on the 40-man roster for another year, I believe. And he doesn't have to, like, you know, necessarily be promoted because he just got to AAA. He can stay there whatever. Why not? Yep. At this point, why not?
1: I think Kelly Johnson has had released all over him all year. He just seems like the kind of guy that they would release. He's been hitting a little better of late. He's been saving his job uh, piece by piece. I do think the Yankees just need him right now because you're not sure who's going to play first some days. And between Solarte taking a dive at at times just in his batting average and then he gets hot again, they need a guy like Kelly Johnson. Simply put, they They needed
0: They needed Kelly Johnson to be Jason
1: Nix last year and he's been – He also has more power than Nix. They looked at him that way. Right
0: and he's been nothing close. And I know his playing time has been erratic of late ever since Solarte kind of seized the third base job. But yeah, I mean, he's one of those guys that's like you can't give up on him cuz he can play five positions. But what do you do with him? I mean, it's 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 a tough it's a tough move. You kind of almost feel like you have to eat it at this point right. and say well, he's on our team.
1: Right. And he may get hot. Right. So I don't know. I mean, this – by the way, I I don't like the – in any sport when people are like, it's early. It's early. <clears throat> right. I mean, don't freak out. It's early. Well, we interviewed Joe Girardi. We did a JCTV with him after the season was over last year. The Yankees missed the playoffs. Yep. He said to Jack Curry, if we had had, seven, if we had had seven more wins and that's a win per month, we would have made the playoffs. Yep. Well, guess what you have to do is you have to win an extra game per month yep. to make the playoffs. That's right. You can't look at it like June and July aren't as important as August and September because, in reality, they are. It's all part of one season. It's all part of putting yourself in a good position to get in the playoffs. And the Yankees are going through a clutch stretch right now where they can really catch up on the Blue Jays.
0: The remainder of this month, they only play the Blue Jays, the Orioles, and the Red Sox. Got to
1: win those games. Yeah. They're important. Nine and three. And I hate that when you say something like that, in June, people look at you like you're silly. For saying they, they have to win these games. People are like, come on. Well, it's all the same season. We're not in the preseason right now. Right. So I can see you saying that in April, early May maybe. You're still getting your, your bearings, but.
0: Nope. They need nine, we're nine wins. in mid-June. They need nine wins in this stretch minimum. And, you know, Brian McCann said it early in the year too when the Yankees are struggling that he knows they're going to get things together. Sometimes you go through hot streaks. Sometimes you go through cold streaks. The Yankees have been extremely streaky this year. They just, you know, they they were three and seven on that, uh, three and seven, one and five, something like that on the homestand. Then they they lose a couple in Kansas City. Then they go to Seattle and sweep the Mariners.
1: They look great you in know, Seattle. They
0: look great in the first game in Oakland, and then kind of hit the skids again. So five and
1: four, nine game road trip isn't terrible. It's not but. terrible,
0: but when you when you start what you know zero and two and finish five and four, that's pretty good. So I mean, you know, it's it is what it is. They have technically the 10th game of that road trip to make up uh, against Kansas City, but they've been very streaky this year. So it's a little frustrating, I'm sure, for fans. And when you look at the numbers like that, it's even more frustrating because you're like, "Ah, damn it, these guys should be doing better. But again, now is the time to make hay, so to speak, in that they're four and a half games behind Toronto. They play them six times in the next two weeks. There you I mean, go. It, it, Five and one, talking you've cut about the The
1: rotation is beating a dead horse. People know who's yeah. hurt. People know who's been pitching well and who hasn't. It'll be interesting to see if uh, Vidal Nuno has another start as a Yankee because he's been getting crushed. I,
0: I don't Unless they get somebody, I don't think they have a choice. I mean, they just released Brian Gordon the other day who was starting in AAA. He was their innings leader by almost double the next lowest guy. The rotation right now is, you know, a save of the world. And guys like Jeremy Bleich, who just got called off from AAA from AA to AAA, it's not like there's they've run through their options. It's not like they have much left.
1: I'm gonna Google something really quick. And although I, you might you might know the answer to this. All right, you google it goes it. along with what you're saying. When
0: you Google it while you google it, will make this point, and I said it to Kevin Sullivan earlier. I fully expect the Yankees to acquire via trade free agency no less than three starting pitchers between now and April first of next year. No less than three. No less than three. Because C.C. Sabathia will be back, and he's going to be on this team until 2017 because his contract is immovable, regardless of how good or bad he is. Masahiro Tanaka is already worth the $100-plus million he was given. After that, you've got Ivan Nova, who's not going to pitch until the middle of next year at least because of Tommy John. Hiroki Kuroda, I think this is it for him. I, I don't think the Yankees bring him back if he even comes back at all because as okay as he's pitched... He's not the same guy he was in 2012 and even the first four months of 2013. And at this point, Michael Pineda, anything you get out of him is a bonus. You can't count on him to even be a number five guy at this point. So I, I fully expect them to, to make no less than three moves to that's, acquire starting pitchers I mean, between now and next April.
1: I think it's the smart thing to do. Yeah. Whether they make all three of them, I guess that's...
0: I don't wonder if they can coax Andy Pettit back out of retirement again next year to see, see if that works, but... Yeah, what well, I'm I trying think to so. figure
1: out, and I can't seem to uh, let's see. I, I'm trying to figure out when the Yankees acquired Ichiro. I keep oh, July uh, 24th. It was July
0: 20. I was going to say it's late July, and I know that for stupid reasons. That was right when I started dating my wife. Like that <laughs> happened, and I had to like cancel a date because I'm like, oh, the Yankees just acquired Ichiro. So yeah.
1: well, <laughs> I was just thinking would the Yankees keep acquiring guys so early. Well, I guess it just feels early because July 24th. It was the yep. 26th for Soriano. Yep. Keep thinking they're gonna make a trade at the end of June and they never it never happens, but
0: I think you know, you mentioned Jason Hamill as a guy and Samarja obviously is the the prize fish in that in that sea right now. Atlanta's got a lot of guys. Yeah. And I know Atlanta's scuffling a little bit and they're barely holding on to their lead in the NL East. They've got a lot of guys of the Gavin Floyd, Aaron Harang ilk who are fifth sixth starters for them at this moment. You know, they got guys in the bullpen that could start, guys are gonna come back and be healthy next year and beyond. You never know if they start to pull away a little bit. If the Marlins and/or the Nationals and/or even the Mets start to falter and the the Braves pull away a little bit, one of them may be available if they need to. Say, I don't know. They don't. The Yankees don't necessarily have a second base prospect that can take over for Dan Ugla and/or Tommy Lastella down there. But if they have something that's useful,
1: well, that would go that along could be with an opportunity. Your, uh, three starters thing because it would be like, well, if they get Gavin Floyd, Brian Cashman mm-hmm. probably say to the press, "This isn't it. We just needed somebody to yeah. fill." This start. This is
0: Sean Chacon and or Aaron Small in 2005. Right. right. And if they can go
1: 10-0 like Aaron Small did, great. Yeah. I mean, that would be He reminds amazing. me, by the way, a little bit of Chase Whitley. Former relievers coming in, becoming Yankees. Aaron Small was a little older. But if Chase Whitley can give them the length that Aaron Small gave them in 2005, they're, they're, they're lucky. You know,
0: and that start Whitley made in Seattle, I... I will never second-guess Joe Girardi publicly, but I was kind of like, why did he bring in Matt Thornton? I mean, I know it was Cano was up, but it was like he was cruising. That seemed like an opportunity where you give him the chance to get that out and give himself even more confidence. But that that notwithstanding, that start in Seattle was brilliant, and you can't expect that all the time. But if you can expect a reasonable facsimile of that, now and again, he's not a bad option. And he's a guy – we've been seeing him ever since I started working here. We've been seeing him. He's been in AAA, I think, since I've been here, which is 2011. Just kind of biding his time, waiting for his opportunity. Didn't really have a role. Is he a reliever? He's not really a dominant back end reliever, but he can throw two or three innings and this. And, and then finally, it was like, all right, we're going to stretch you out as a starter, go do this or that. And now he's here. He's just one of those guys that has been waiting so long for the right opportunity and his opportunity in general. He's going to make the most of it. He's going to be that Aaron Small type you feel because he's just like, I got it. I'm here. Now I need to keep it. He's not going to be like, well, I know I'm here as a stopgap right. or what. He's going to go out there and be a bulldog. And so far, so good. Can it last for the next three-plus months? We'll see. But for right now, I mean, you have to feel good. You have to get good vibes from what you see out of Chase Whitley so far. Nuno, on the other hand, not so great as of late. But again, do the Yankees have any other options in-house? Not really. So unless Brian Cashman can find something that's easily attainable elsewhere, this is what we got right now. It's, like I said a couple weeks ago, Tanaka and Kuroda and hope it don't explode. So there you go.
1: TGFJ.
0: Thank God for Japan. Yep. All right. Before we go, we should mention the World Cup because it's a thing. Uh, people watch soccer. Apparently, I've been told. I don't. Uh, I will watch a little bit of the World Cup because much like the Olympics, it's the premier pinnacle of the sport. And, you know, it is what it is, even though I'm not really a big soccer fan. I find it a little weird. I have a pretty funny story. To tell I find that. it a little weird watching on TV where, you know, after the game yesterday, they're showing all these people in various locales and they're all crazy and painted up in red, white, and blue. And, you know, 75% of them are there because it's an excuse to get drunk at 630 on a Monday night. But, hey, it's patriotism, so I'll give it a pass.
1: Yeah, well, it doesn't sound like you're giving it much of a pass.
0: Not much of a pass, but I'll give it a pass.
1: I, <laughs> I was just thinking about how I was feeling last night. I am a grandfather. I was thinking about this. Last night I had to do laundry in my building in New York. I have to go, you know, down to the basement. And I was in my room I was like, God, I hope there are no drunk people from the soccer game that I have to deal with. (laughs) I legitimately in my head was saying that because I didn't go to a bar last night. I had a bunch of things I had to take care of. I was gone for the weekend, you know, house chore
0: things. And did you go to Home Depot and Bed Bath and Beyond? No, no, No? I didn't have time.
1: But um, you know, it legitimately the whole city was going crazy. I could hear out my window, Park Avenue was just absolutely roaring. There were people like walking by each other on the street, high-fiving. Yep. Your question is valid. How many of those people actually know anything about soccer? I don't care. I mean, I, I enjoy going to bars for sporting events. I enjoy being in New York for things like that. I, I think it's cool. But uh, the the question that I don't like at the end of the World Cup is, is this the World Cup that finally makes soccer a big sport in America? No.
0: No. You know which World Cup is going to be the one that oh, does okay. that? Here we go. None of
1: them. Yeah. None of go. them is
0: going to be the one that does that. I'm sorry. The
1: MLS is going to do that, if anything will, uh, because the World Cup is just a very foreign event. Until we have one on our soil, it's going to feel like the Olympics to Americans. It's going to right. feel like a a world competition, and we don't seem to really and get fully behind Let's
0: that. be completely honest. This country's mindset in general is, we're the best at it, or we don't care about it. Well, we're not the best at soccer, and we're not anywhere close to the best at soccer. So no one cares. And I mean, last I mean night let's we, be fair.
1: We beat Ghana. Ghana! And you would have thought, you know, it was like 1980 Olympics yeah. last night. I, I I understand that Ghana has eliminated, the, you know, the U.S. in the last two World Cups, and I watched yeah. both. Yeah. But, you know, the U.S. is going to play mm-hmm. Portugal and Germany now. Can can they beat them? Well, I mean, we'll
0: see. Yesterday's game is an example of, of why soccer, for lack of a better word, bores a lot of people. U.S. scored in the first 30 seconds of the game, and then the other two goals came in with the 83rd and 86th minute. So So there was was a two-hour period where nothing happened. The
1: one thing I do like about soccer is that the games really are two hours.
0: Yes, that's true. It's 90 minutes in stoppage time and then the the intermission, halftime, and that's it.
1: And and we had started at 6 last night. It started right at 6. There was Mm -hmm. nothing going on before it. They played the anthems at like 5.55. It was appointment TV. You sat there for two hours. And 6 o'clock is kind of a nice time for a game because it it was
0: over at 8. Especially for all those who just want to paint their face and go out and get hammered and and use the World Cup as an excuse because then they don't have to miss any work. They're already out of it.
1: And the Bachelorette started right at 8. The Bachelorette started right at 8. For the two groups of people that were watching, both soccer and the Bachelorette.
0: ESPN segued seamlessly from the World Cup right into Cardinals Mets. Yep. Thrilling. Uh which I don't know who ESPN's color commentator was yesterday, but I turned on the Mets feed right away. So that's all I'm gonna say about that. Uh yeah, it was it was it's two hours, the games are over, it's done, it's you know, it's not like an NFL game where the last five minutes of a close game can take an hour. Basketball's kind of that way too, let's be fair. Um but I still don't think America's gonna go cup crazy. The U.S. may do better than anyone expected, and even the coach expected. We hope they do. I mean, we, we hope they do. Americans. They play Portugal next, and sake. somebody who's good on Portugal won't play because of getting a red card. I don't know who it is, but I just know that. So,
1: so who knows? Let's say you had been at Stout in the city last night, and you had been with a hundred USA fans, and you had been, you know, three or four beers deep. What would you say about it today? Would you mock yourself or would you say it was a great time? It was so much fun. It was with all the USA fans. Place went nuts.
0: Oh, if I was three or four beers deep at 7.30 on a Monday night, I probably would have come in about two hours late this morning because I'd be hungover because I'm old and I can't quite do that anymore. Um, See, I I think you would have enjoyed it. See, even in the World Cup situation, I I wouldn't have – I'm sorry. I just – it just does nothing for me. Like, I'll watch a little bit of it. I'll care enough about it. I, and Obviously, we need to talk about it on the podcast, so I will pay attention to it in that regard. I just can't – i I'm sorry. I can't. I, I can't get I, into I it. I
1: wouldn't – I I don't think – last night may have spurred me in the right direction. Before last night's game, I never would have gone to a bar to watch a soccer game. By the way, that is my – that's the way I think about it. Well, see – I am defending them because – it looks fun from the pictures and videos that I've seen. But before last night, I looked at everybody like they were crazy. What is everybody so excited right. about? Why would you get off work early to go watch a soccer game? It's the first game. I was all excited for the the hockey in the Olympics, but, uh, you right.
0: know, well, soccer is a different thing. The other animal. thing with that is the Olympics, you don't see some of those sports all that often. So, like, I love curling, which, by the way, for my birthday, my wife got me a learn to curl package. So I will finally live off my lifelong dream of learning to curl. And by lifelong, I mean, since the 2006 Olympics, but those sports, you know, it's something you don't see every day. Or like you said, Olympic hockey, you know, those guys, I can root for Sweden because Henrik Lundqvist is on there. I can root for Norway because of Matt Zuccarello. I can root for Russia because of Jager and various players. What do I have rooting interest for the Ivory Coast or Algeria? I think was playing today when I went out to get lunch or I don't. Right, I, I so don't have any rooting interest whatsoever, unless the USA starts is playing.
1: With either the MLS or the Champions League becoming widely popular in the United States, right. somehow. Mm-mm. If that, if that doesn't happen, the World Cup is just going to be our Americans, most of which we don't even know the names of, versus right. a lot of people we don't know. The Again, names
0: that's the, and that was my point earlier when we talked about this. If you went to a hundred people that were at Stout in New York City last night and asked them the name of the guy who scored the game-winning goal, would five of them be able to tell you? No. Because it doesn't matter. It's not even about that. So that's right. why I don't get into it. the U.S. beating
1: other people, and we'll watch yeah. that anytime and, we can.
0: And I was off on Friday uh, and when, when the World Cup began in earnest, and I was in downtown Stanford on Friday afternoon, evening-ish, for dinner and a little happy hours. It was my birthday. And I saw the dozens, thousands, hundreds of people inside all the bars in downtown Stanford watching – I think Spain was on at the time. Just because, it again, it was an excuse for them to enjoy a Friday afternoon and go out and have a few beers and oh, we'll call it the World Cup. and That's, and that's what not it the seemed worst like thing me. in the it's world. It's not the worst thing in the world. That's just not my cup of tea anymore. And when I was your age, maybe it would have been. Maybe it wouldn't have been. It might have been just more for the experience as opposed to the actual soccer. But for me now, I, I, it does nothing. I'm sorry. It, it just does nothing.
1: Well, this has been the Two Angry Old Men podcast.
0: <sighs> Get off my lawn. Yep.
1: I just sound like a mixture between. Well, you said the Gran Torino quote. But I did it in like Abe Simpson voice. Yeah. yeah.
0: Get off my lawn. Is that better? Yeah. No? Now you
1: have laryngitis.
0: <laughs> well, I am old, so maybe I'll suck on a yeah. Worthers original and put my cardigan on because it's getting yeah. a little chilly in here. <laughs> That's going to do it. I'm going to go get on angry. Doug is going to go unhate me, and we'll be back next week. Uh, The NBA draft is next week, so we'll talk a little bit about that, despite the fact that the Nets and Knicks have exactly zero picks between them. We'll talk a little bit more about how Miami could have nobody under contract by the end of this offseason and shenanigans that go along with that. And, of course, we'll be back with your Yankees updates and any other late-breaking news. One thing before we go, uh, we do want to say we are both saddened by the passing of Tony Gwynn earlier this week. Uh, for me, he was a player who was in his prime for pretty much my entire childhood, and was always one of those guys, along with Cal Ripken Jr., who you always look forward to watching on the game of the week or, you know, some kind of national outlet. And the '98 World Series—I mean, it was—you know—his his time against the Yankees. Dude was a dude was just a hitter. I yeah. mean, he he has more. He forgot more baseball knowledge than a lot of guys playing the game now will ever even know. Right. And, and most
1: pitchers say that they used to just throw the ball down the middle because if you threw it on the outside, he'd poke it to left field. Yep. And if you threw it on the inside, he'd inside it out to right field. Uh, unbelievable hitter, terrific guy. Everybody in baseball is just incredibly saddened by his loss. And
0: yep. and um, we just interviewed, uh, you know, when we did Minor League Monthly a couple months ago, we uh, we interviewed. You know some players who had played for him, and nobody nobody had even a remotely bad word to say about Tony Gwynn as a coach, a man, a hitter, a mentor, and anything. And so it's a it's a huge loss for the baseball community. Gone way too soon. You know Kirby Puckett, same way. You know a few years back, he just left us way too soon. And R.I.P. to Tony Gwynn. He will be missed in the baseball community as yep. everything and he it's was. A lesson the I think community. Tony
1: would tell you. You know if you're a young baseball player avoid dip at all costs yep. seriously it's 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 a really dangerous thing played a lot of baseball in my life and a lot yep. of guys get incredibly addicted to it and that's what yep. took tony's life he used that's to emulate it with
0: we used to emulate it with big league chew but i never you know i never took it any further than that and that like you said it's a good lesson that uh that it's not something to mess around with so that is going to do it for this extremely long edition of the Yes men until next week i'm lou he's doug thanks for listening and we'll see you next time